Hello and welcome to The Stack. On this week's show, we have a very special day to celebrate. 15 years of Monaco. And guess who will be in the studio with me? Tyler Brulé, Andrew Tuck and Richard Spencer Powell. Also on the show, Jeremy Leslie from Mac Culture, Natasha Papa from Travel Title Desired Landscapes, and we pay tribute to PJ O'Rourke. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. To start the show in a celebratory way, I've asked Monaco's editorial director and chairman, Tyler Brulé, our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, and creative director, Richard Spencer-Powell, to discuss the 15 years of Monaco and what's ahead for us. Tyler, Andrew, Rich, what a pleasure and what a special edition of The Stack as well. 15 years of Monaco. Tyler, my first impression is I was looking at issue one like a few days ago, the consistency. I mean, when you look at uh, number 151, of course, there's a few changes here and there, but the consistency is amazing. Yeah, well, and just before we went on air, you were even being more flattering than, than you are now. And it's, um, I think that's always, you know, I guess it's a bit of a, a testament to, to a strong brand. And I think, you know, Rich and Andrew can jump in here, but I think I've always believed that good brands, doesn't matter whether it's an automotive company, whether it's a hotel, a lot of it is about repetition. And I think that there are, are many magazines, uh, many media brands that we see that, that they do go through enormous transformation and sometimes you don't really you know recognize them from you know not one issue to the next or one decade to the next and i think here you know we we set out i think with i would say a pretty strict architecture in terms of the sections that we want to look at i think the approach to photography uh, the grid uh, that rich built up and everything that went with it and and i guess you know when i say everything that went with it a, a big core part of that when you think about consistency is also the people and this is kind of remarkable that I'm sitting with uh, someone uh, across me, Richard Spencer-Powell, who I've uh, been working with since 1997. Andrew Tuck uh, well, has been on the journey for 15 years, but we've known each other for over 30. So that's also part of this as well. And Andrew, I, w- I want to put you here in this uh, conversation. I mean, it's about the belief in print as well, because when Monaco was launched in 2007, now I'm realizing it was the credit crunch years. I mean, nobody was kind of advising people to launch a new title, right? I mean, but I think that that belief is what makes Monaco in a way, right? Well, we started and then that credit crunch came around the corner a little bit afterwards, but very swiftly. But it made us kind of think about what we stood for and, and how we would connect with audiences. And I think it baked into the brand of Monocle some really important things very early on, one of, of which was you need to be nimble, another which was you need to be focused on opportunity, and another one maybe that you need to be positive because if we had kind of got all caught up in the woes of that time, we'd have soon vanished as a brand. So oddly, those those have become tenets of the things that we stand for and how we report stories and, and how we deliver things to our readers. And so I think it was a good test, in a way, of, of Monocle. It, it, it made us feel primed for what was ahead. And, and, and Rich, again, the design of Monocle, that's uh, incredibly remarkable, the kind of slightly bookish kind of characteristics of it as well. And again, tell us about some of the changes you do, because again, Monaco is not a magazine, as I said to Tyler, number one and number 151, they look incredibly consistent. But tell us about your inspiration, actually, for the now iconic design of Monaco. Well, I think the design of Monaco or any magazine of Monaco's type, which, of course, there aren't many, I think it's just about presenting the journalism well. 
not being capricious and changing your mind, being confident, being consistent and doing lots and lots of small things well or as well as you can and to do that for as long as you can. And I think we have to be, you have to be confident. You know, the newsstand, you make a magazine with a, with a nice front cover and you put it out there to the world and say, please come and buy me. And you have to be confident with that. And I think you have to trust your instincts. And of course, you can develop a bit and react to things. But I think we've just been very good at staying the course and sticking to our sticking to our beliefs. And we've managed to do that for 15, 15 years consistently. Of course, there are challenges. And of course, each issue is different. But I think, yeah, as long as you stick to the core values, I think the product uh, is long lasting. And that was always the intention to, to design something that wasn't faddish and um, capricious or schizophrenic, that it was confident and, and it knew what it wanted to be. And Tyler, I mean, we're being all nostalgic here as well, but I think Monaco, I don't know, it feels to me, even working here, they would always like to look ahead. I mean, of course, we're, we're looking at the best times of those 15 years, but I think it, we, we like to look ahead, right? And we, we are not stopping. There's so many new projects for 2022. So, I mean, if you give to a, a little overview for our listeners, uh, what can we expect from Monaco this year? Well, I, I think one interesting thing is, when you look back, and of course, we're, we're doing interviews, we're talking about this this brand, and people said, well, at what point did you decide that you wanted to do e-commerce? And, and people think that we just jumped on that bus, uh, you know, maybe in the last seven or eight years. But you go back to issue one, and there were a series of porter bags for sale. Now, it wasn't the most advanced logistics operation mm-hmm. behind uh, what we were offering. I think maybe those bags, Andrew, they could have been just behind your desk uh, on a shelf. But anyway, there were so many fundamentals that we had. You know, very, very early on, there was there was a podcast. There wasn't a, a rolling uh, radio service like there is now. So I think there's there are a lot of fundamentals that we've been doing for a very long time. If if we look ahead, you know, right now, we, of course, you know, 10 core issues a year, plus the specials that we do. Uh, our new sister magazine, Confect, uh, we're doing newspapers uh, when they present themselves, when there is a great event around them. Andrew, I mean, four books uh, as an average right now. Um, but of course, we're, you know, we're, we're in a period, we're not doing our travel guides at the moment. Uh, we might be going back to world of travel guides at some point in the not too distant future. So there's also, I would say, an uptick that we want to do there. And then just going back to the fundamentals of the people, the journalism. So a new, a new bureau on the horizon in Bangkok. We have to wait a little bit for Lisbon, uh, Faye, but you know we'll, we'll we'll come back to that. Chris Lord being out in Los Angeles, I think really reestablishing that. Andrew, what else am I am I missing uh, editorially that we're doing as well? I mean, and also just you know the other day, probably the biggest intake of of new staff that we've had in a while as well. I think you've covered most most of the the products, but I think what, what's important, Faye, is to underline here is you know that the way we tell stories you know has has evolved and will continue to evolve. We're going through a really nice period at the moment where we have these great long investigative reads in the magazine, which has been not a dramatic change, but just a good push in the right direction has really connected with our audiences. Tyler was talking there about going to the story, you know, putting our Asia editor on manoeuvres, taking him to Bangkok. But just in the past few weeks, as you know, we've had two people from M24 out in Ukraine. We've been there at the protests in Ottawa. So I think for us, as for all media brands, is is going to the story. And I think also this interesting thing, you know, we, we have offices here in London. We have offices, obviously, in Zurich. But we do have outposts throughout Asia. And, we, and we're not just a British brand. And we're not just a, an English language brand. In the words we are, but in Outlook, we're trying to be global. We're trying to be international and make sure that some of the narratives that end up on page 
aren't the same ones that you'd see in the US press or other other UK titles as well. And you mentioned long form as well. And I have to say, let's talk a little bit about the new issue. I mean, there was a moving story about the Paris trials as well. I mean, that's... It felt quite unique, actually, that story as well. But give us a little preview of the new issue, because there's also an interesting segment where we're looking back at some of the stories from the first issue and, and kind of gave them a little update as well, right? Well, yeah, as uh, as you've highlighted, and it was even a surprise when, when the issue landed uh, <laughs> as well, because it was just great to... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Rich, you sort of kept it a secret. I didn't know that we were going to have a paper change. I mean, of course, and we've, we've always had that, that's always no, but in, in a super positive way, it's always something that we've we've done. And uh, and Jackie, who's our head of production, you know, has always you know got a couple of tons of paper hiding uh, somewhere. Uh, and it was great that we were able to deploy this this glossy section, which is where we go back, you know, we rewind fifteen years ago, and we visit uh, people who were in issue one. Where are they now? And then also looking at stories. What became of certain brands? Are are they still thriving, or are they by the wayside uh, potentially? But it's just a, it's a it's a really I think just it's a it's a really clever device I think to be able to do that, and it's amazing. You know, fifteen years is of course uh, at one turn it's very long. I mean, it you know it gets you up to your formative years from birth, but also it's it's whizzed past. But one great thing is there's a timeline. Just looking at the world of media and what what's happened around us and it's it's funny that we have this conversation today having launched as andrew was saying out of a crisis and now having our 15th anniversary also off off the back of what has been a global crisis as as well but rich i think when you look back what stands out for you i just think it's um that just the consistency in terms of just interesting, amazing stories. I think we've really shown the world in a way that no one else has shown it. The amount of discovery that you get in the pages. We're recently, we're currently finalising the final stages of our, our new book, which celebrates photography. And it's just been an absolute pleasure to go back through all these kind of expo stories and just see all the incredible places, all the access, and just all the investment we've put into film photographies, sending photographers to the most incredible places around the world, getting into sumo training camps and reporting on, you know, the blast in Beirut, getting onto naval vessels, into embassies. It's just been an incredible pleasure to just work with all of that material. And still every day, I love sitting in a flat plan meeting with the editors and hearing what their ideas are. It's been an education and it's just been, it's been fun. It's been, you know, good fun. And I think every good workplace should have that element. One thing that I'm curious, I would like to ask all of you, what is your favorite Monaco cover? Because, I mean, we all love to see kind of when we go to the first floor, there's all the 150, 51 uh, covers. I, I love looking at it every day. Perhaps I start with you, Rich. I mean, you're, you're designing that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have been, yeah. Um, difficult to choose one. Um, I did... Uh, wander past the cover wall on my way down. I think one I really like is the Kumamon Japan special cover. Designing the cover, it's the closest thing I have to sort of writer's block where sometimes it's really difficult to get it out. Yeah, can I just say as well, also the closest that we ever came to a really serious lawsuit uh, <laughs> as well with, with that cover, but we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> but it was just, it was a kind of quick eureka moment. I think me and Andrew stood in the corridor and it was like, okay, how about we put it on, you know, one of the mascots, Kumon the bear, I love him. And then we did the negotiation. I couldn't attend the shoot. It happened in Tokyo. We had literally a 30-minute window, Shin and I, on a call with them at four o'clock in the morning and then they were sending screen grabs through and we were like yeah yeah that's it got it and it just came together really quick i love the cover i love the simplicity i love the play i love that it's 
Japanese. It's it's just very us. I love the fact it's sold very well. And I love the fact I went to Tokyo to go to the launch of that magazine, which was just pre-pandemic, and it was a great trip. And, yeah, I, th there's lots of nice memories for me on that cover. Andrew? Well, there's a few. The first year, the first Quality of Life survey we did, because I think that's the one that kind of was a bit of a breakthrough moment connecting with readers and, and commercially nice. In 2010, I got to go to your home nation, to Brazil, and we did this very elegant cover, which is a staircase at uh, Itamarachi Palace in, in the foreign ministry. And that's another issue I like. And then there's, the same as Rich, there's one or two that are just very simple images. A, a gummy bear for our German issue, which I thought was cool. And also when we've switched, when we've switched design, so I think mm. when we did Defence Dogs, uh, which is a, a strange thing to do at issue 101, and then we've just when we did the redesign last year, I think it's you just see these jolts of like energy coming through on the cover when you've rethought things a little bit. Tyler? Of course, I've got to go back to cover one as well because it's just it's the launch. It's where it all started. So I think having this pilot from the Japan Self-Defense Forces was just, it was, it was very striking. And, and it, you know, part of it was a marker for what we wanted to deliver with this brand. We had to, you know, we came out of, you know, lots of different people coming from lots of different places. You know, Andrew having come from The Independent. I mean, Rich, you know, we'd be work for, working for a while, of course, at Wallpaper. Uh, so what were we going to do? And and we had to set out and, and really establish the brand. If it wasn't going to be in one cover, we had to do it within the first four or five and so there was something very sober. A lot of people said they were very, it was very academic. And, and that was, you know, it was very deliberate. Uh, we wanted to, to create some sense of, of departure. Um, but then I have to go back to the, to the sense of, um, I guess, of just a fun as well. And, and I, Rich, you might know the cover, well, you might know the issue date around it. But I you know I love, for example, when it was a German cover where we had, you know, a Playmobil character in truck, like just poking his head in <laughs> off the side, uh, et cetera. And, and there's, there's just, yeah. you know, I think this, this sense of, of playfulness and these last two years we've been through quite a serious patch. And I would like to think as, as the, the sun comes out properly again, I think we have been delivering optimistic covers. That is, it's, you know, optimism. We haven't really talked about it, but it's certainly, it's a core editorial value in many ways that I think you'll probably see there'll be a bit more room for, I think, some fun and frivolity, a little bit more wit as well, because I think that's when we've also been, I think, been at our best. And as Rich says, you know, you have to be able to just stop people in their tracks at a train station, at an airport. Of course, lots of people just get the magazine as a subscriber, but there needs to be that that element of curiosity. And and always we talk about that that odd little twinkle in the eye of, of, of the character on the cover. Also this week, I decided to visit the great Mac culture shop in London to visit the stack friend Jeremy Leslie. He tells me more about his future events, including the flat plan, on the 5th and 6th of March. Uh, it's been a very busy start of the year, actually. It's been busy at uh, sort of both ends of the system. There's a, a lot of new magazines, a lot of people wanting to, to get us to stop their magazines, and a lot of people in the shop wanting to buy those magazines. So both ends of the kind of input and output are busy. No, and one thing I would like to mention as a Mag Culture fan, I've been following you for years. I mean, even your website is looking sharper by the day, I have to say. There's always something kind of new there, and I think it's kind of very easy to navigate. I, I, I like that, because it keeps Thank changing, you. but always for the better, in a way. Okay, good. Well, well, yeah, that's, that's, well, it's, well I mean, it's, you know, you're asking how busy... I mean, it's been busy here in the shop, and it's lovely to have it busy after the last couple of years, obviously. But one, one thing we did manage to get done over the two years of downtime 
or relative downtime was redo the website. So it's, it's great to hear that you've noted that. It was, we put a lot of effort into that and that's paying off. We do a lot of online sales now, which just helps expand things, you know. And we've got a lot of things to say. There's, I, I can't say, I mean, we've got things coming up that I'd love to be able to talk about, but I can't yet. But the one thing that is happening is the flat plan, which is our um, masterclass helping some of those people that have got ideas to to bring them to fruition and hopefully publish uh, their own magazines that's amazing and 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 tell us about a bit more about how it works i mean Mm -hmm. i think this is perfect for especially students not not only students but you know people that have this dream of of Mm -hmm. making a magazine Uh, but tell us a bit more it's not the first one you've done right it's not no this will be uh, the fourth and, and the first two were in real life but it, we, you know back in the days when it was easy to run real life events but we did during the lockdown run one version online and actually this is an example of an event which worked much better online because you get a much better international mix it's easier for people to join from around the world but it's also much easier to kind of group people to, to sort of split people up into different groups you can you know with zoom is you know it has its frustrations and many of us are sick of it and tired of it as, as, a, as a system to use but functionally it's very useful to get in this case we get 50 people together and they enjoy a series of um, talks and, and Q&A's with a very experienced um, speakers to talk about various aspects of publishing including vital things like printing and distribution which so often get forgotten about or overlooked until, until the last minute. But then we can very easily split them into small groups and let them have sort of group sessions where they can ask questions of these people. A rare example of an online event actually being beneficial to the process. So we've done that online already, uh, but with this this year we're doing it online again in a couple of weeks. And tell us a bit about some of the speakers. Of course, they are very kind of respected uh, people that you would trust, that they, they can tell you how to make a good magazine. Well, I mean, one of the things I love about you know, so many of the people we engage with and work with uh, in terms of making magazines is they're all great, almost evangelists, if you like, almost a great protagonist for helping other people making magazines. So there are so many people that could do this, but that we've got a very, what we feel is a very strong lineup, ranging from great art directors like Holly Catford and Ariane Spanier. Uh, so, I mean, Holly does Pit magazine and also works on I. Uh, Ariana does Fucht magazine, the drawing magazine from uh, Berlin. But then we also have very experienced um, writer-journalists such as Rob Orchard, who co-founded Delay Gratification. I'm sure you've come across him. Uh, yeah. People will know him from the stack. Uh, Harriet Fitchlittle, who works on Kinfolk and also recently launched Kindling. And then we have one of the exciting things now, we've done a few of these, is that we've got people like, we've got people like Ella Parody coming, who founded the Black Explorer and she attended the uh, flat plan a couple of editions ago, so I think she already had the idea in place. So it wasn't down to us entirely that she made the magazine, but we helped her along the way. So she's returning now to to input into the next generation. Um, so it's a sort of self fulfilling thing. You know, there's quite a few magazines that come out of these sessions. And of course, the easiest way is to go to my culture to find out more information about it. Is it kind of how many hours is it? Which period of the day is it? The way it works, so it's split across two days, Saturday and Sunday, 5th and 6th of March. Each day is just three hours from 12 to 3, uh, British time, GMT. Uh, so it's quite intense, two intense three-hour sessions. And there's back-to-back talks and then some breakout sessions. And we like the idea, you know, it means that people have a sort of, there's a gap between session one and session two for them to kind of just th- let things percolate through their minds so that when they come back, they can address questions. 
And Jeremy, of course, uh, I need to ask you, I, I ask you to bring a few titles here for us, something that caught your eye. I know there's a few travel titles here and there, but tell us which magazine you're holding in your hand now. Well, uh, I picked a few magazines. A couple of them are travel magazines, and I think that's something that all of us have been missing over the last few years. Some of, you know, occasionally I've got away once or twice, I, thought, I believe you haven't, and... and but it's still, you know, even when you do travel, it's not quite the same. It's all a bit anxiety-inducing, and um, so we're having to travel. So we're having to travel in other ways, and I think print is a fantastic format for doing so. And I've got a couple of examples. First is Desired Landscapes, which is produced in Athens, and this is a magazine. Essentially, it's about cities. Uh, it's about travelling to different places, of course, and it's there are some guide elements. But it takes all sorts of interesting angles towards um, cities. There's a couple of examples here. One. But actually, they're both kind of design orientated. But one is um, catch up uh, to, to talk about Mexico City with Lance Wyman, famous uh, graphic designer, who did the um, the identity and all the work for the Mexico 1968 Olympics. A great classic example of modernist design. Uh, but we're talking to him about wayfinding and signposting in it, and the work he's done in his his home city. And then there's also a piece by uh, Meg Miller, who used to work on Iron Design magazine talking about these uh, extraordinary um, typewriter uh, images um, I mean talking about these great images made by uh, by typing characters from an old-fashioned manual typewriter uh, in Berlin um, and again you know both both are taking you into these cities but they, you're just experiencing through a, a cultural moment the sort of thing you might bump into when you're walking around the city but it's not Sort of, it's not actually trying to replicate the visiting the city it's just introducing the city via its pages Another example is um, Good Place, which is a new launch from some of the people that used to be on the uh, Lonely Planet magazine. They go to all sorts of different places, but there's a, uh, a piece in there about New York, favourite city of mine, and about hot dogs, which... Um, I need to read that. You sure. do, well, it's just, I mean, I mean it, that's not in itself necessarily particularly kind of groundbreaking, but it's just lovely to be able to enjoy travel uh, you know when you can't do it i'm hope we you know we're we're hoping to get to new york soon and do our conference again but you know more news later i hope but um, for now this is the nearest i'm going to get to new york thank you jeremy and as you've just heard from him he's also a fan of travel tie to desired landscapes a magazine reading into cities. The delightful magazine takes us to several cities, including Seoul, San Diego, and others. I had the pleasure to speak with its editor-in-chief and creative director, Natasha Papa. It's a love letter to cities. It's a way to escape. Let's say if you cannot travel, it's a way to imagine cities, either fictional or real ones. So, yeah, it's a way to go away and discover more realities, I would say. That's a proper, beautiful way to describe. And you have a lot of experience in that, not necessarily only print, but you also do walking tours as well uh, in exactly. Athens. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's such a <laughs> close connection to a city in a way. Yeah, actually, everything emerged from my own uh, curiosity, I would say, about cities. So my background is in graphic design. And at my master's degree, I had this focus on public space. So I was really into architectural studios. I had discussion with urbanists and I was really attracted from the idea of maps and mapping in general, documenting. So I started uh, to get in touch with these methodologies of mapping cities. And then I was thinking about ways to improve public space or to improve uh, the ideas of cities. 
but somehow this was very literal. <laughs> so I had to go to something more poetic. And this is how the magazine came out. Uh, but just before the magazine, I have published another book. It was a mapping of the Athenian passageways. So it's something very abstract, very graphic, I would say. It's not really a regular city guide. And this was a really big hit here in Greece, also for people from abroad. And this is how the walking tours emerged. So I started to run some walks here in Athens. And through that, I met people from other cities and I found out that they have similar patterns in their own cities. So I remember a girl from Istanbul, she told me, uh, look at this building, we have exactly the same in Istanbul. And it was a very weird building. I mean, I couldn't imagine to see it somewhere else. So these people and other people that I collaborate uh, became the future contributors of the magazine. This is how the magazine was born. And now I run walking tours not only in Athens, but I can do it in other cities. Some people invite me to craft a walk for their own cities or events. So I would say it's the same project, actually. It's all about desire landscapes in any form. And I love the quote that is right on the first page of the, the new issue. We read to walk and walk to write. Uh, I don't know, it's a really beautiful uh, kind of quote in a way. Yeah, it's a quote that somehow sums everything up because either I enjoy reading about cities and for me, reading about cities is more about understanding what I like about them. So, you know, it fills this kind of curiosity of mine. And then you go out there, you walk, you explore, you find things that you wouldn't expect and then you have to document it. So that's what's the magazine about, to gather these voices about cities from things that have already written or find people to write their new things about their experience in the idea of sense of place, if you would like. And of course, you're based in Greece, but I have to tell our listeners, I mean, if you read the magazine, it feels very worldly. I mean, I have issue five in front of me. Of course, there's a special on Seoul, but I mean, you had to Berlin to, well, Athens, of course, to Sydney. Do you like that? Is that part of your, you mentioned their curiosity? Exactly. This was the objective. I wanted to have a mix of diverse cities. So it would be nice to have iconic next to not so known ones, or maybe not, let's say, the ones that you have on your top list of traveling. So it's not really about traveling. It's about experiencing what uh, different realities of cities are out there. So either we have people who live in these cities and they write about them, or they visit, or maybe they imagine these cities. So it's a more poetic, let's say, perspective. Well, it's poetic and also, I mean, I told you it's a love letter to cities because it's so important. Because I mean, let's be honest, since the pandemic, there's been so many like op-eds saying, oh, it's the death of the city, people are moving away. I never believed in that, to be honest, you know, it, it, of course it's not the case. And I think that's what you have as well, because your magazine is not just, oh, go to this beautiful five-star hotel in this kind of isolated island. It's much more than that, in a way. Yeah, and it's nice that you mentioned that, because I wrote this also on the editorial of this issue. I also had these thoughts of, you know, leaving the cities, because... During the pandemic, the city had no spectacle, so somehow it was a different thing. You couldn't go out, you couldn't see other people. It was a dead situation, like a ghost city. So I started to think, what is a city now after the pandemic or during the pandemic? And I realized that I really love cities, so I really need these urbanities, this mix of architecture, these um, uh, serendipities with people. 
So yeah, definitely, I cannot see myself going somewhere else. And I want to meet more of them. That's why I invite all these people to write about their cities. Well, me neither. I don't see myself living. Uh, I like living actually in a big city. It gives mm -hmm. me lots of pleasure. And what about who are your readers in a way? Because of course you're based in Greece, but you, you have quite a lot of kind of stockists around the world. And what would be the best way for someone to purchase a copy of Desired Landscapes? A funny story is that mostly the magazine sells abroad, not really in Greece. Although lately, let's say the last year, Athens has become a, have become a hotspot. So we have more people discovering the magazine. Uh, you can get it directly from the website. We ship anywhere. Uh, but the idea is to have at least one stockist in every big city so people can get it more easily. So I would say that the audience are the people who like to travel, but not in the sense of traveling, in the sense of changing cities. So let's say you live in London, but you're from Brazil and maybe you've been uh, six months somewhere else. So I would say the cos cosmopolitan perspective of uh, people. And yeah, they like architecture, they like uh, history, uh, oral history also. Uh, they also like the idea of, uh, you know, packing light, you know, be uh, very easy to move. Yeah, that's a difficult question. I think this sums up some people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and let's talk about some of the features. One of my favorites, I love the interview with uh, Lance Wyman, uh, mm. the graphic designer for the Mexico Olympics, right? Tell us a bit some of the other features on, on the new issue. There is a very nice uh, one about Sydney. There is uh, an artist there, a visual artist, who felt really trapped in her city. So she became a hyper-local tourist. She started to use every little metro station every day. And she carried her, her film camera with her. So she had to document at least one nice thing, even very close to her house. So I found this idea of creating a system to really love the city again, even if it's not your favorite, uh, a nice idea to create, uh, you know, uh, surprises in your everyday. Another favorite is an interview with uh, Ali Karimi from uh, Bahrain. Uh, he's talking about uh, documenting fading architectures, uh, looking into archives to find uh, connections between the buildings and how these are perceived from the public. So he also runs some uh, walking tours where he shares his uh, findings. So always in every city, in every issue, we have somebody talking about walking tours. Um, we have a fictional city, the vertical city of uh, Sevarambes. Uh, this is actually a city designed uh, for a short film from an architect and animator, Josh Contos. And I asked him to imagine himself walking in the city and describe the city that, you know, it doesn't exist. Um, every issue has a big section. Uh, it's called City Guide. And there we invite people to show us uh, ways, different ways to approach cities. So in this issue, we have Seoul and uh, architect and visual artist uh, Daphne Kokini uh, has a selection of Korean wave films. And through them, uh, she visits mentally some uh, very iconic locations in Seoul. Thank you very much, Natasha. And issue five is out now. 
Before we go, let's play a little tribute to writer and political satirist PJ O'Rourke. Monaco's Andrew Muller spoke with him back in 2020 for our show The Foreign Desk. And here's what O'Rourke told Andrew about his days at the National Lampoon magazine. I wonder if back in our National Lampoon days, which for your listeners, hard to describe, a sort of much more raw and raucous private eye. Would that do that as sounds a about right. of the National Lampoon? Yeah. yeah, I mean, on slicker paper with more <laughs> pictures of girls wearing rather less than the climate probably demanded. In the 1970s at the National Lampoon, I wonder if we didn't set off a sort of like cynicism, screw them all, everything is fixed. They're all jerks. There is no good side to support. Yeah, I wonder if we weren't in part authors of that attitude. We weren't alone, of course, by any means. And I don't want to make too much of that. You know, I think we were riding a trend. Saturday Night Live, of course, which spun out of the National Lampoon, actually, was originally conceived as a National Lampoon television show. And the corporate owners of National Lampoon thought NBC's offer of money was too small. And so NBC said, well, <laughs> the hell with you, we'll just do it ourselves. Anyway, and so most of the writers and performers in the original Saturday Night Live were from the National Lampoon. So that probably had a much bigger effect, Saturday Night Live attracting many more viewers than Lampoon had ever attracted readers. But anyway, you see the trend. Yeah, I confess to having been part of it. You can listen to the full interview on a special episode of The Foreign Desk, which went on air in 2020. That's it for this week's show. My thanks as ever to our editor, Nora Hall. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fp.monaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And meanwhile, you can always listen to it again at monaco.com and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you, Sky, with Let's Celebrate. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. <laughs>